Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Tuesday, April 22nd, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 51, paragraph 1. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Karen New, 12 Traditions, Kathy W., reading the text, Sylvia, Sharon H., and Sally A. The reference number for yesterday, which was Monday, April 25th, 2014, is 6215. 6215. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery to the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth edition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Karen Yu to read the 12 Steps. Karen, are you with us? Yes, yes. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay, good morning. This is Karen Yu from Michigan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you. I pass. Thank you. I will now ask Kathy W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Kathy W. from Manitoba, Canada, recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, every, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book on page 51, paragraph 1, and I will ask Sylvia F. to begin reading. Good morning, everyone. This is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was not equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. 
Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. And so this is a paragraph that, that's continuing um, the, uh, the persuasion that we can open our minds having to do with the world of the spirit, which um, it says that this is the only way that we're going to find um, serenity, release from our addictions, and, um, and a whole new world order. This is the way that we get to live the promises. And so they're still making the case here that we need to open our minds. And, you know, the point is, is that uh, before the world of the spirit and um, superstition was what was driving man, and that we were very terrified and very closed about scientific inquiry. And now, you know, now we've had so much, uh, quote, unquote, progress, that um, now it's reversed, and we're, they're having to make a case to persuade us that it's okay to be part of the realm of the spirit, even if we can't see it or feel it. And this one sentence, in the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas, fixed ideas, closed ideas, not open. Um, and um, it, that, to me, that goes back to um, when we read on the page before, page 48, it said, everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. So it's just another trying to get a wedge in there and letting us open our minds. It says, and does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? Is It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world, that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. So to really um, to keep on opening up our minds and believing that um, that sim- that the simple belief and a power greater than ourselves can um, it, it, it's an incredible part of our recovery, and that if we have a closed mind, we we can't have it. And and it's talking about prejudice, you know, that if if we believe that if I can't see it, then it can't be true. Um, that prejudice that they're going over and over and over and proving that 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 simply isn't true, that there's all kinds of things that we believe in that we can't see, but we have faith that they're true. And, you know, it uses electricity and it talks about, you know, Columbus, Galileo, and then the next paragraph talks about um, the Wright brothers. And um, then, you know, the other other thing, which is part part of this continued argument, is that we had gone to Appendix 2, and at the very beginning, the very end of that in Appendix 2 is on page 568. I have to throw that out in front of myself a lot. It says, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man, man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. If, if I have contempt prior to investigation, I will never grow. I will never change what I have is what I'm going to have, and it's it's never going to be different. And so, you know, this is a very, a very one more paragraph in the persuasion that we cannot be contemptuous and prejudicial of the spiritual world, um, even though 
that's kind of where where humanity has gotten to right now in our country, that it's not going to work for us in terms of our own recovery. Um, for me, I was, I was raised in a family that absolutely believed in intellect and believed in science. And I remember when I was growing up being envious of people who had great spiritual belief because I could see that they had a serenity that I didn't have. But it, it was definitely uh, condemned in our family. And so um, for me to get to where I am is just a great relief. When I read this chapter, I, had, I could understand that I was prejudiced. I was intolerant. And, um, and that in, I could open my mind and I could have faith that this too could work. With that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sylvia. Who would like to comment on what was read? Kim. Hi, Kim. Good morning, Melanie. Did I hear one more person? Go ahead, Kim. Go ahead. (laughs) I did hear Janice. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to zone in on that word fettered, you know, fettered by superstition, tradition, all sorts of fixed ideas. And I, I found it fascinating to look at the origin of words. So what does fettered mean? It means a chain or a shackle placed on the feet. There's anything that confines or restrains. And um, the origin of that word is back in the Old West when they would go across country and they would stop overnight and they didn't have anything to tie their horses to. So what they would do is they'd put ropes around the the uh, horse's feet so they could have some restricted movement but they couldn't run away in the middle of the night. And the other big visual I think of is that movie, The Green Mile, where the the death row inmate goes down and he's got his feet shackled and his hands shackled so he can kind of only shuffle around but he can't really move. And that's what my fixed ideas, my old ideas would do. It would restrain me to a point that I couldn't get enough movement to get anywhere. So for people who are like me, people who've been in OA a long time, who were getting periods of abstinence and, and picking up and getting periods of abstinence and picking up, what are some of those fixed ideas? What are some of those old ideas about even Overeaters over- Anonymous? I mean, they're talking here about our ideas of God, but I had to really unlearn a lot of the fixed ideas I thought about Overeaters Anonymous. One of the big ones that is, I would bristle if I ever heard anyone say the word recovered because all of our literature says recovering. And the big book is very specific that we can become recovered. And why was that? Why was recovering in there? From what I've heard, that's really something that happened in the rehabs in the 70s and the 80s that kind of seeped into AA and seeped into OA about the idea that we're always going to be sick. We're always going to be suffering. You know, I'm not a bad person. I'm just a sick person getting, trying to get well. You know, the, the, the fixed idea that the food is different. Yes, AA people, that's easy. You just put down the alcohol and that's it. I am a compulsive overeater. I have to eat every day. It's totally different. The popular idea back when I was in, coming in in the 90s was I have to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day. Food is so much different. Well, let me tell you, alcoholics drink. They just don't drink alcohol. They drink water. They drink soda. They drink juices. I am a compulsive overeater. I, yes, I eat food, but I do not eat my binge foods. I do not partake in those behaviors that create the phenomenon of craving. 
So maybe it's a little bit more difficult for us to identify what those foods are, those behaviors. But once I identify them, I am no different than the alcoholic. And I can hope my whole deportment right now can shout at you that you can be recovered. We do not have to continue to be recovering in this fellowship for 20 and 30 years. Because what does recover mean? I'm always going to have that allergy of the body. That's never going to change. If I ever pick up those substances again, I will be in the vicious cycle described by the, the, the doctor's opinion. But I can be recovered because the larger aspect of our disease, which is the obsession of the mind, the torturous, the reason why I suffer from alcoholism and suffer from compulsive overeating is because of that mental torture that's always going to bring me back to the, to the first bite. And today, because I've walked through these steps, God has removed that. The miracle of the 12 steps is I don't want my binge food. That I am light. That I am happy. That I am joyous. That I am free. And I had to unlearn that idea that the food was different. I had to unlearn the idea that I could not become recovered. And I realized for many years in Overeaters Anonymous, there were a lot of people's opinions that I took as the program of recovery that was inhibiting me, that I was fettered by those old ideas that meeting makers make it. And if meeting makers make it, we would have a 90% recovery rate because I know a lot of people that make meetings. If, if, if the fixed idea is that the perfect food plan is going to save me, I'm, I, I've had many, many wonderful food plans and I've always gone back to the food. So I love that sentence, fettered by superstition, tradition, all sorts of fixed ideas. Question, what are those superstitions, those fixed ideas, that is stopping you from following these clear-cut directions, these clear-cut directions that haven't had to be changed in 78 years. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice M., you're next. Yeah, <clears throat> pardon me. Thank you, uh, Melanie, and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, this whole paragraph is is just so wonderful because we, we're in the agnostics, okay? And this is step two, coming to believe. So what it's telling me is, yeah, we're no smarter. We don't have any really more knowledge um, than those of the ancient days. We're equal, you know, as the they were as equal to us. But what blocked them was... The reign of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas regarding a willingness to change. So what is, what is a superstition? You know, when it comes to beliefs, yeah, my beliefs were based on reason. You know, that didn't work. You know, the fear of the unknown, the superstition, you know, the unwillingness to change my belief. And traditions were customs, you know, that uh, came from people to people, like old wives' tales. You know, it's a belief that is passed down, you know, especially in my belief of, of, of a higher power, the belief of uh, uh, self-sufficiency. That's enough. Intellect, that's enough. No, that's not true. That's not true. Columbus would never do what he did if he didn't have the willingness to try something different that would work. That's what I said. He had to set aside superstitions and fixed ideas. So the process he had to come to was, one, he had to be willing to change. And then he came to believe that maybe something else will work, 
And then they made the, he made the decision to do some action and got some results. So, you know, once, once you start having the willingness to change, then you can come to believe because it, it'll just show up. So that's what I believe that this is all about. Is That's why they gave this example of Columbus, because he was willing to change, like I had to be willing to change my that my my methods did not work, and uh, that's what I see in this paragraph. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Sally. Hi, Sally. Good morning, Good morning. Melanie. Thanks for your service. The Sally recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And I would love to share on this paragraph. I think it just um, really makes a strong, strong statement to me. Um, starting with the words toward the top of the paragraph, the intellect. The intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. And moving right down to giving us these examples of Columbus and Galileo. It's interesting to me that Galileo was nearly put to death for his astronomical heresies. This guy created one of the first telescopes that was a, an extremely strong telescope. And consequently, he was stating and teaching people that the earth revolved around the sun. And they were so aghast by this guy's, what they believed to be a heresy, that they put him under house arrest until the day he died, Galileo. And this is how firmly he believed what he was seeing with his eyes, with a telescope, that the earth revolved around the sun, that, that he was not going to shut up about it. He was willing to be put under house arrest. What amazes me is that the people around him were so sure that he was wrong, they wanted to put him to death, and they decided to go easy on the guy and just put him under house arrest until the day he died. And when it, when it speaks to these subjects, Columbus and, and, you know, what he did in his faith, and Galileo, what he did in his faith, um, and our intellect, it reminds me of me. Here I walked around with a badge of courage. I've been in OA over 30 years. I used to say this literally like a badge of courage. I've been in OA over 30 years. I've been in OA over 30 years. So what? I still walked around 250 pounds. It wasn't that serenity. It was simply, I wasn't getting it. It wasn't working for me. I was so fixated on these tools. I just didn't get that this book, this was the instruction manual. The intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. My intellect had me stuck in a badge of courage. I've been in OA for over 30 years. It got me nowhere that I'd been in OA over 30 years because it wasn't working. But down deep inside, I knew because I had had some white-knuckling years that there was something here, something. I couldn't quite still figure it out until finally I found out, here it is, this book, this precious book. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Lois. Hi, good morning, Lois. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Lois, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, this this brings me back so, so, so deeply that when I was in my disease, even all through my disease, 
I was I was open and I was aware, you know, that I I learned and I watched people and how they lived and and I was not I didn't have a closed mind as far as the realm of the spirit went. But what what it brings me back to is, you know, I I was embedded in the disease. You know, I I grew up in a family of disease and then I had an active disease of my own for many, many years. And and what I've learned was, you know, that I had a the obsession of physical allergy, which produces a mental obsession of the mind. And to break that down into something that I really lived and understood was my mind was was uh, was a negative world. It it, it it produced a negative world for me. And and I, I'd go to church, I'd fulfill my responsibilities, I'd bring my children to church, and I would be there too. And I would look around, and I was close-minded. I, I, I just could not ever hope, I tried and tried, that I could, I could receive and, and live in the way that some of the people I admired and watched for years had seemed to be able to live and, and to believe. And what I've what I learned, <clears throat> excuse me, when I became, you know, when I was able to, when the disease brought me to my knees, and I was able to seek recovery, and <clears throat> excuse me, and and understand the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I learned about the obsession of my mind, and the world the world of compulsive overeating had produced for me such a strong neg- negative world that as long as I was into the food, I was unable. I was unable to to begin to hope. I had hoped for so long that I, I just could not I could not bring myself to hope. So it was I had to be willing to believe that you believed and I and and I had I had the advantage of listening to people at meetings people like me who had lived in a negative world because this world always made it okay for me to pick up the food and it was it was stronger than than the um than the soul that I was born with and and that God had given me so therefore little by little I just came like the somebody says I came I came to and I came to believe and and the only thing that I did perfectly was I kept coming and little by little you know the, uh, the the recovery of others helped me, and I believed them because I, they were like me, and I heard it, and I knew it, and I felt it, and they were able to lead me inch by inch, you know, into the re- beginning of the recovery world, and little by little, you know, my I, the willingness to to keep coming and to try, you know, became larger and larger, and I was beginning to just the beginning of hope, and therefore, you know, when I when I think about step two, we agnostics, and I began to hope that I too could recover because I heard people like me did recover. And therefore, you know, this was such an important uh, chapter for me. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. And I, I wish, you know, I wish that newcomers would continue to keep coming. And even if you don't have an open mind right now, you know, are you willing to have an open mind? Because Many, many people on this line have recovered, and you can too. So with that, I'm going to pass, Melanie. Thank you. I pass. Could I share? 
We lost you, Melanie. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Thank you, Lois. Yes, who is this that would like to share? Mary. Hi, Mary. Good morning, of course. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Mary from New Jersey, and I'm still recovering because you guys are really helping me understand that. But um, I just want to share how Sunday, thank you for all your shares, and the thing I really needed to hear today because through you guys, I realized I don't even, I don't do step one. I thought that was the one step that I got right. But as I look at my house and my clutter, that's what's unmanageable. And I know that um, step one means when my house really comes in order, my life comes in order, and that it's manageable. But the thing I heard this morning, I echo, is... Um, the only thing that I do perfectly is coming to meetings. That that That's a gem. That's one thing I can say, yes, that's one thing I do. And I'm learning so much. But anyway, it was Easter, and I picked up my nieces I have for the last 30-something years. And as we were walking home to my house, she came in from New York. We were talking, you know, how you're doing your 12-step program, and she's in Al-Anon. And I shared to her, I said, guess what? I'm going to be able one day to say, I am recovered. Oh, no, Aunt Mary. Uh Uh-uh. That's the one thing we learn. We are never recovered. Yes, but I, you know, I've really thought about that this week. You know, I've had cancer. I've had a rare form of cancer. Um, Most women don't even know it, you know, and I know there's some men on, but I'd like to always share it because, you know, I just thought I had this little pimple on my nipple, and well, guess what? It turned out to be Paget's disease of the nipple. Now, I didn't go under chemo or anything. They just cut it off, but I I can understand that I am really recovered from cancer, but that doesn't mean that that cancer isn't going to return, and then I got it that one day I will be able to say I'm recovered. And then I really re- listened to our preamble this morning. What did we? What did you guys mean by we uh, believe in vision for you that we can be recovered because we are abstinent and we live the steps, we work the steps in our lives and the traditions. So I've learned so much from all of you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you, Mary. Would anyone else like to share on what was read before we move on? Okay, then would Sharon H. please read the second paragraph on page 51? Thank you, Melanie. Uh, This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And um, the next paragraph is, we ask ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said that God had reserved this privilege to the birds? 
Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. Um, boy, we asked ourselves, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit? And <clears throat> I, too, am one of those that had been in OA many, many years and could not and would not stay stopped. And I couldn't understand this because I did stay stopped in another program, and I never understood why this one didn't work. But it wasn't the problem that didn't work. I did not get that uh, <clears throat> message or believe to the core of my being that I had a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to the food. And as a result of that, I started listening to this meeting in July of 2012, and I, too, you know, I've been uh, in several different formats of OA. I've done several inventories, all of that. And I just had such a, a skeptic um, mindset. Um, and so I had to set aside all of the old ideas that I had garnered up over the years because I did not accept to the core of my being, that this was a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And this is what I kept hearing in these pages over and over again because they did begin in the doctor's opinion. And all of a sudden, you know, it went on <clears throat> like, like God was flashing a flashlight into my mind. And it was the beginning of my being able to stay recovered and stay stopped. And I believe that in my heart today. I had reached the point that I didn't believe that was even possible. So I had to let go of all kinds of old ideas that I had learned along the way that were not based on the truth. They were, I was still living in a lie. And, you know, we've seen as we've progressed forward, now people, you know, whoever thought there would be someone walking on the moon, whoever thought... Um, you know, they would have some of the cures for some of these diseases that have been around for so long. But I had a lot of screwed up ideas about religion, about spiritual, about all those things. So I, too, had to go back and unlearn a lot of things and uh, then accept this very simple set of um, spiritual toolkit that is lined, uh, you know, laid out in this book so clearly. So clearly, I don't know how I missed it, but I did. And um, that's part of my pride, saying, I don't know how I missed that. Well, I did. But um, it all comes down to me is that now today I understand these three facts that they talk about here that are the description of the alcoholic on page 60, and that's what I must accept to the core of my being, that I was a compulsive overeater and could not manage my own life that probably no human power could have relieved my compulsive overeating and that God could and would if he were sought. And so that's, that's what I keep hearing over and over again. And to hear on every page from the very beginning, these recovered people are teaching me how to live in the truth and follow what I must follow, the directions in this book. I can't just accept the truth and then live my life the way I lived it before. I do have to be diligent about working these steps, and that's the difference in my life today. And, and it, you know, we can live recovered. We're not cured. We're not cured because we do have that physical allergy, and that will always be with us. 
that God continues to do what he needs to do in this mind of mine so that I do not think that I have to go back and take that first bite and start that vicious cycle of living in the addiction of food addiction one more day. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Sharon. Who would like to comment on what was read? Lonnie. Marcella. I heard Lonnie and then Marcella. Good morning, Lonnie. Good morning. Hi, everybody. This is Lonnie, um, recovering compulsive overeater from Florida. Uh, I love these two paragraphs, and it's a strong reminder for me that how stuck my mind was in the intellect. You know, there was always a, a glimmer or a glimpse of spiritual in there, but for many, many years, I prided myself of having a scientific mind, you know, and and I didn't believe in this spiritual realm that, you know, that there was a power out there greater than myself, and certainly that that power would have anything to do with me. So it's just, it's wonderful to, again, hear that quote from Herbert Spencer that, you know, that contempt prior to investigation, you know, my self-righteousness and, you know, that only my way worked, but my way didn't work at all because I was stuck in the crux of my disease. You know, I was stuck in the food, you know, because my way wasn't working. So I was, I was not open to hearing the beauty um, in these steps and to working these steps, you know, and I think even the first time that I worked the steps, I just expected like, okay, like something's going to happen or if I just did it perfectly, then I wouldn't have any of the problems that I continued to have. So it's, it's coming on this line and, and learning about the big book and opening my mind to the realm of the spirit that God has fully entered my life. And today I, I turn to my higher power for everything because it's only this, this spiritual that helps me live life. It's not my intellect. My intellect, my knowledge got me nowhere. So I'm very, very grateful that, you know, I, I'm open-minded and I'm willing and I continue to learn and grow and seek. And with all of that, since I'm earnestly seeking, my higher power is entering more and more every day. And with that, you know, I'm in recovery for today. So, and I'm truly grateful and on my way to calling myself recovered. So, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lonnie. Marcella, you're up next. Good morning, everybody. My name is Marcella. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm happy. I'm joyous. I'm free. I'm craving free. I don't, I'm not hungry. I live on a normal weight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vision, for you. Thank you, God. So my mind was fettered by fixed ideas, and I kept eating and eating, <clears throat> completely out of control. What was part of my fixed idea? <clears throat> that I was a failure, that I was doomed to die fat, obese, rejected, humiliated, with a chocolate bar in my mouth, unwanted, completely baffled because I was such a failure that I couldn't follow a simple diet that had worked for others. That was my fixed idea. And through the work of this program, that idea was replaced by a good idea. What is a good idea? 
that I was meant to live free, standing straight, without fear, utterly confident that finally, for the night made peace, that I can live comfortably in my body, and overall, that I can be an agent of recovery. That's the most important part. That's the most important part, that my utter hopelessness and my absolute confusion and humiliation has been replaced by a mission and a destiny. If you are here listening to us with one day of abstinence and on your way on recovery, just jump in. You are already part of the solution. You are the expression, the living expression of the solution. And there's strength in numbers. And that's the meaning. That's the tangible expression that you are cared for, that your worth, that your life is worth saving. That is not irrelevant if you go out of your food plan today. It's not irrelevant. That little extra bite is not irrelevant. When I finally tied out my food to my destiny and my mission in life, I was granted abstinence. And that's how I, I totally, 100%, I'm confident that this program works, that it works for everybody. Keep coming back and follow direction of the book. You have absolutely nothing to lose and an incredible life of direction and meaning to gain. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marcella. Who else would like to come? Hi, Sherry. And then Lauren. Sherry and Lauren. Thank you. Sherry from Georgia. Um, Wow. Um, I have come to believe... um, you know, I saw things in nature, and um, like the, you know, the, the rabbits and the deer, and and so on. And you know, for a fleeting second, you know, I would, I would have, I would believe when I would see it because somehow it just, it just uh, represented a power greater than myself, and I felt like it was a gift to me. Um, but you know, it didn't stay. And, and, of course, now I'm uh, further along in recovery and have a sponsor and everything. And, and so, um, first of all, I want to say this program is not a pain in the butt originally. You know, I felt like it was. And I thought, my God, I'll never be able to do this program every day, every day, and, and, and have have this conscious contact with God uh, every day. And, and And I just, I thought I would never be able to do that. And, and since I've been doing work, um, gradually, gradually, it's like a, it's something that's enjoyable to me. Um, peaceful, serene, uh, fulfilling. Uh, but I want to get back to um, what is God. Um, when I look at the world, and yeah, there's, you know, things are not perfect, and there are parts that are, that are ugly. But for the most part, um, who could put all this together? <laughs> you, you know, I really have felt quite stupid when I think about that, that it was in front of my face, um, the belief that, that something did this other than man. Uh, if man had done it, it would be a big black hole like it has always been before it was. Um 
and I, I just am so uh, so grateful. Um, I see God as 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 a breathing, like the earth is breathing, like everything, a tree or whatever. Um, he is in everything, and that's huge. You know, even even further out than just the world and the universe. Uh, and I guess if we all thought about even the the Earth people, the ones that don't have a program, um, if they if they could dwell just a little bit, maybe I don't know, on what they see in front of them. Uh, the things that are just um, pretty and uh, really amazing. You know, before I was in program, I had on I had on blinders. I didn't see anything other than, especially in my disease, I didn't see anything that I see now. And uh, it's just a, a whole different world. And and I just want to say I am so thankful. And I love this program. I love this vision for you. Um, y'all have just helped me so much. Um, it's a huge part of my recovery. It is my recovery. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. Lauren S., your turn. Star one, Lauren. Well, while we wait for Lauren to come unmuted, become unmuted, would there be anyone else that would like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Katie S. in Pittsburgh. Hi, Katie. It's your turn. Hi, um, Katie S. Recovers Impulsive Overeater. Um, you know, I just got back from my sister's wedding in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and uh, we had been talking about those first few flights um, that the Wright brothers took and how, you know, they were coming up with different formulas on how to make the wings and, you know, their first flight went a few feet and then their next one uh, a little bit longer and, you know, they were doing this kind of uh, trial and error stuff. And I was thinking as I was reading this is that was kind of like how my trust and reliance on God started out like I would I would give my will to God and then I take it back and like we would go a little little bit further and like then I then I'd get scared and we would you know I'd fall down and um on one of the Wright brothers first flights after you know doing this little we're going to give it give it a try this way and give it a try this way they had a flight that went the length of a football field and, you know, they were so excited and just completely elated that it worked. They had flown. And um, I was thinking about how that can be compared to, you know, after all of these falling down attempts, me giving over my life, my will to God and just being carried just being carried for through whatever it is that I need to go through um, in this in this life, and how amazing it can be once I just do that. 
So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And Lauren S., are you back? Uh, Lauren? Press star one. Hi, Lauren. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Lauren S., recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, okay. So, um, here for step two, I have that certain... A certain attitude is if I can lay aside prejudice, if I can think honestly, if I've been encouraged to search diligently within myself, I can find God or the power of your understanding. And on page in the um, spiritual experience, it says, we just need that honesty, openness, and willingness. And that's it. It's all-inclusive to find this higher power. And um, I was told it's in the seeking and not in the finding where we're in step two. We're just seeking the possibility. We don't have to find anything. We don't have to have a relationship. We just have to seek. And I think Bill is um, trying to show that, like, I... I have um I have I have tried to seek other things with my mind about science and putting my faith and trust in other things um about like learning about the airplane. I can fully believe that um oh gee was I can I can fully put my faith that this flight occurred because I've seen it with my own eyes. But, you know, in 1902, before this first flight ever occurred by the Wright brothers, I really didn't have faith or belief. I was just sort of jumping off and just kind of stepping over that cliff saying, you know, I, I think flight might be able to occur, but I don't have faith because I didn't see the truth, and I didn't see it happen. Now, when I was going through my first step two, I didn't have faith and trust that I would become recovered, that I'd have this relationship with God, because from my experience, I I didn't have that. But I was standing on the cliff saying, I'm just going to jump off and just hope that it can happen, that this airplane will fly that I'll be able to be recovered one day, God willing, because I've seen other people who recovered. I saw truth and faith from other people and their experience. And for me, that's why I need the fellowship just as much as I need this program of recovery. Um, and uh, thanks. That'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, and before I invite... I just wanted to uh, send out a gentle reminder that we would return to our suggested three-minute share time for all that have shared today and those that will be continuing to share. Um, who else would like to share on what was read? Judy F. Hi, good morning, Judy. Good morning, Melanie. This is Judy F., compulsive reader, recovered from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, just 
couple of things that were very helpful when I was at this point that I was told to act as if and trust the process. Just And what would it look like, you know, act as if, just continue working the steps, continue just doing the next right thing. What would it look like if I believed in our loving higher power, if I believed in these steps, if I believed in those that went before me, I would then do what they would do. And, um, and it worked. So I didn't truly have to buy into the whole thing, but I knew I was desperate and I, I tried everything and I had to try everything. I had to try my will at every way to control the food, to um, try to live a better life. And, and I got to less than zero and miserable. Um, and so I just said, well, I'll act as if I believe like you believe. And then um, if that process of going through the steps then produced that belief and trust. Um, but it was taking action a lot of times before I actually believed. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. We do have time for one more two-minute share if anybody would like to take that time and that opportunity to share on what was read. Press star one on your phone keypad. Two. This is Rebecca. Oh. Well, I heard two first, Rebecca. I'll take two G. Thank you so much. Good morning, Sue. Thanks, Melanie, um, for your service and everything. Um, I love this chapter, and, and I really look at it by going back to that Herbert Spencer quote, um, that the only thing that will really hold us back is in everlasting ignorance is the principle of contempt prior to investigation. Because I, I really experienced this chapter in the two paragraphs we read as, as being so inclusive. It's, it's offering a little bite to everybody, a nice kind of bite, a spiritual bite. Um, and that, that the problem isn't that we think, it's how we think. That we can think in ways that open us to possibilities so that when we become unwilling, we're open to the possibility that we can pray to be willing and that we don't have to be fixed and stuck in one or another idea, that we, we do have a blessing of living in a modern world. The world has gone on a path to, that's of improvement. When I'm, when I'm in my <clears throat> positive thinking, I realize this. So I don't have to be stuck. We, human beings, do not have to be stuck in uh, old ways of thinking that are closed to new possibilities or in so many new possibilities that there's no spirituality involved. In fact, he, he kind of talks about how um, the, um, well, Professor Langley thought that the flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River, but there were the Wright brothers who thought, well, let's try this, that the spirit was, and the spirituality is what allowed these scientists to say, well, let's just try something. And, and it's the same thing in the old world, that there were people who didn't think Galileo should be put to death, that they thought he had an interesting idea, and that, that you shouldn't be killed for your interesting ideas. Um, and so I'm thankful that 
that maybe there's less killing, at least in our society, of people for for new ideas, and that we, in our fellowship, can can really experience new ideas and start thinking of ourselves out of our disease of addiction, which is all absolute black and white, either or, nothing but, and and start living in the process of of our path instead. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Sue. And at the conclusion of Sue's share, we have come to the end of our meeting today. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close this meeting with a reading from the big book on page 164, The Serenity Prayer. Will Sally A. please read a vision for you? Yes, thank you, Melanie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.